All right, we'll go ahead and uh, get started uh, this evening, and I'll start out by reading the memory verse for chapter 3, and then we'll have a word of prayer and get right on into the lesson. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the New American Standard says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. All right, so let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, another week has passed, and we're here again, same time, same bat channel, so to speak. And it's such a joy and a privilege to be uh, in your house with your people, uh, to be able to open and study the Word. Our life is so fast-paced, and information just comes at us at lightning speed. We have commercials that are bombarding us, you know, at like anywhere from uh, 10 to 30 seconds long and and there's just billboards that are you know right in our faces and there's just so much information uh news broadcast and news breaks and and all these things and sometimes our just our mind and our brain get so full we just don't know what to do with it and we just feel so full and overwhelmed and sometimes it can be a little confusing and it's nice to just come in an, in a quiet setting in a, in, a, in a place that we can sanctify and set apart and just separate this time for you and dedicate it for you and for your word, that we can get away from the hustle and bustle of our everyday life, take a deep breath, and just ask the Holy Spirit just to be our guide, to guide us into all truth, as the scripture says, to open up the word of God, to teach us, to show us what your word is trying to say to us so we can apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. So Lord, quieten our minds and quieten our spirits because sometimes out in this world, it's just go, 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 go. And we've forgotten how to relax. We've forgotten how to kick back. We've forgotten how to just enjoy. And even sometimes we get caught up doing our devotionals and we're rushing and speeding through it because we're on to the next thing. And Lord, sometimes we just fail to properly uh, take the time uh, to, to be with you. It's just like people are in such a rush that sometimes they'll just go through the drive-thru and they'll be driving and munching on a burger at the same time, and they're not even enjoying what they're eating. There's nothing like going into a restaurant and actually sitting down and just enjoying, taking time to savor and enjoy the meal. And Lord, your word is fresh bread. Your word is meat. Uh, your word is milk. Your word is our nourishment and our food. And Lord, we're acting like our sanctuary is a big fancy restaurant and your word is, is like the most expensive meal on the menu that we can sit down and enjoy. So we're going to take our time and we're going to savor every bite. We're going to savor every word. And Lord, help us to enjoy your word. Help us to crave it more and to grow a, a deeper uh, appreciation and, and understanding and desire for your word because your words are life. Uh, without your words, we would not even exist. So Lord, help us as we read your word tonight that we can know what it's trying to say to us. We could apply it to our lives and walk out these doors and start living what we've been taught and that we can share what we've learned with others and uh, hopefully bring them to a saving knowledge of Messiah Yeshua as well. So we ask and we pray these things in Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in Proverbs chapter 3, and we left off at verse 16. So we're going to start at verse 16. 
And just to kind of uh, put this verse in perspective, because reading it by itself, you won't really understand it much. So the previous verses before that, like verses 13 through 15, it's talking about wisdom and understanding, how it is more precious than jewels and more profitable than gold and silver. And that wisdom is, is a lover that, that is incomparable. And that we need to take love or we need to take wisdom and understanding and we need to treasure it and cherish it. And so that leads us right up to verse 16, and it gives us the further benefits of wisdom and understanding. And so it says about wisdom, it says, long life is in her right hand. So if you'll remember, wisdom in the Proverbs is personified as a woman. And a lot of people ask, well, I wonder why wisdom is personified as a woman. Because our relationship with wisdom should be a love affair. If you're in love with wisdom, you're going to want to spend time with wisdom. You know, I mean, maybe maybe it's not so that you, for those of us who have been married, you know, maybe 25, 50 years, maybe maybe you're not so into like spending time with your spouse. But remember when you first met your, your spouse, when you first uh, started dating, it's like that person became your obsession. That's all you could talk about, all you could think about. When somebody mentioned that person's name, you'd get this big stupid grin on your face and you would blush. You were always thinking about them. You wanted to talk to them on the phone and you played these little phone games like you were talking late at night and says, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, no, you hang up first. Passing notes in class and all this kind of stuff. You were, I mean, you were obsessed with that person. It's all you could think about. You dreamt about that person. You could not wait until you got off work to go and spend time with that person. And that's the way it's supposed to be with wisdom. We're supposed to be madly, deeply, head over heels in love with wisdom. And we're to have like a, a relationship with wisdom. We're to be intimate with wisdom. So wisdom, it says that long life is in her right hand. Now, I believe that the King James says length of days. And that is actually a literal translation, a word-for-word -word translation of the Hebrew is length of days. But, you know, I, I guess the translators of the New American Standard says, well, it's a little bit uh, kind of an archaic uh, phraseology, an archaic saying. People may not understand it. So, you know, let's put length, uh, um, length of life or long life. But it's, it does. It means length of days. And that word length could also mean height. So the implication is not only that you just live a long time. Who cares if you live a long time? I know there's people that have lived for a hundred years and they're just like, oh, I, I actually can't wait till I die. <laughs> Death can't come soon enough because I've lived on this earth for a hundred years. I can't get around. I can't do what I used to. So long life really doesn't mean anything. But the word also means height. So it implies growth. And so when you grow, when, when you're living a long life and you're growing as you're living a long life, you grow in knowledge, you grow in wisdom, you grow in appreciation of the world around you, of the people around you, you grow in understanding. And it, it, maybe, maybe your physical quality of life isn't that great because our body is constantly breaking down uh, because of, of the fall of man and the second law of thermodynamics and just the process of getting old. But your inner self, your inner life could be growing by leaps and bounds. There are people that are paralyzed. Uh, you know, like Stephen Hawking, uh, he recently passed away. He was one of the most brilliant men that ever lived on the face of the earth. Couldn't compare to Solomon, obviously, because God said that Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth, wisest king of Israel. But Stephen Hawking, 
he he couldn't run marathons. He couldn't, you know, he didn't have hobbies, you know, physical things that he could do. He was wheelchair bound. So his mind and his imagination was his playground. He was constantly thinking about things and mulling over the philosophies and mysteries of the universe. And he wrote books about the universe and black holes and quasars and quarks and you know all these scientific things that just boggle our mind and he was a brilliant brilliant man but he grew in his understanding he may not have had a long life he may not have had a healthy life physically but his intellect was superior because he loved wisdom and understanding and intellect and education and he grew with those things so it says about wisdom it says long life is in her right hand so not just the length of life, but your height, what you know, you're not only just, you know, we, we stop growing physically at a certain point, but we never stop growing spiritually or mentally. We're continually growing. We're always learning new things. Uh, so long life or uh, a growing life or, a, or an intellectual, spiritual, mental quality of life, maybe we could even say, is in her wisdom's right hand. Now, when you read scripture, you'll, you'll hear right hand and left hand all the time. And right hand is always positive and left hand is always negative. And some people is like, well, why is that? You know, because here in the United States and in Canada, you know, we have people that are either ambidextrous. They could use either hand. Some people are right handed. Some people are left handed. We don't really think much importance about or the symbolism about what a right hand and a left hand is all about. But back in the ancient times. Uh, your right hand was considered uh, your, your, your good hand. It's the hand that you shook people's hands with. It's the hand that you worked with. It's the hand that you did business with. It was considered, it was symbolic of work. It was, it was a symbolic of favor. Um, now the left hand was considered your dirty hand because they didn't have Charmin. They didn't have Northern. They didn't have all these fancy toilet paper. So guess what? If you didn't have leaves, you had to use your hand. You did dirty things with your left hand. So your left hand was not used in public or you didn't touch a lot of things or do a lot of things with your left hand alone. It was usually your right hand. So pe most people back then were, were right-handed. However, there is a part in scripture, I think it's in the book of Judges, if I'm not mistaken, where there was a tribe, maybe it was Benjamin or Dan, or there was a tribe that was able to uh, use a slingshot with their left hand, and they were just as accurate with their left as their right. They were ambidextrous. So that was kind of an oddity or a rarity. But way back in the ancient times, the right hand was considered the good hand. Left hand was considered the dirty hand or the bad hand. It was an insult to shake somebody's hand with your left hand or to hand somebody food or merchandise with a left hand because that was used for private business, right? Yeah. And you salute with your right. Yeah. yeah. So the right hand is the hand of favor. And the left hand became known as the hand of judgment. So it says that long life is in her right hand and in her left hand, riches and honor, which is kind of odd, seeing as we just talked about the difference between the left and the right. But I think what Solomon is trying to say, it's your whole life, no matter what side or which angle that you come from, if you make wisdom your intimate partner, that your, your life is going to be good all the way around. But see, you know, the enjoyment of life, the right hand of life, the wisdom and the intellect, the appreciation of beauty, that's kind of a right-hand philosophy, whereas a left hand, riches and honor. 
Now, how, how is riches and honor usually obtained? A lot of times, riches and honor were attained, obtained through warfare. That would be considered a left-handed proposition because, you know, in war, you, it, you got dirty, you got messy, you killed people, you conquered people, you looted, and you, you, you know, you took uh, from other nations, you took their wealth and their possessions. And if, if a king was able to defeat another king and to defeat another country, he was able to get honor as a result, a reputation where people from the other nation says, well, he conquered this great king. I'm not going to mess with him. I want to be his ally. I want to get on his good side. So maybe that's what Solomon was alluding to there as well regarding the left hand. Wisdom's left hand is riches and honor. So wisdom's left hand will help you to be cunning, will help you to be strategic, in your life because face it we don't live in a perfect world we don't live in a nice world uh and i think jesus even said in one of his parables that uh he, he talked about he praised the the uh the cunning steward where he was about ready to get fired from his job he was about ready to get let go and he says oh man what am i going to do i can't do hard manual labor you know my back's not strong enough and i'm not good enough to shovel i i you know i'm too good for something like that so here's what i'll do I'll get all of the people that 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 owes money to my manager and I'll just may pay certain amounts or half prices and just cancel the rest of their debts. And so he gained favor with these people because he actually canceled a lot of their debts. And so when he was out of a job, he was able to go to these people who he was nice to, who he did a favor for financially and was able to maybe couch surf or, you know, get some kind of other management position or job. Uh, to be able to make a living. And so Jesus praised this, this cunning steward because of his, his strategicness and his cunning in business. So sometimes we have to think a little bit ahead and we have to be strategic in our life. So about wisdom, it says, long life is in her right hand and in her left hand, riches and honor. So, and usually if you have brains instead of brawn, it's easier to get wealth through brains than brawn sometimes. Through brawn, you can conquer nations and get wealth and honor that way. But through brains, you know, you, there's a lot of rich people who's never punched another person. There's a lot of rich people who's never, you know, fought in any wars or, you know, took what they had by violence. But because of their business savvy, uh, they were able to accumulate a lot of wealth. I mean, we think of Donald Trump. He's a he's a millionaire. We we are billionaire. We think of uh, Kevin O'Leary. He's another billionaire. Anybody in the Shark Tank or anybody in the Dragon's Den, they've got a lot of money because they were they were strategic. They were cunning with their business practices and wealth, and they were able to accumulate wealth and honor that way. So there's several ways uh, through wisdom that you could get wealth and honor. So long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand is riches and honor. And the interesting thing, when you read this in Hebrew, right hand and left hand are repeated. The word is said twice because, um, it's to, because one direction is right, one direction is left. The, the word for hand is not actually there. The word for hand is yad, and that word is not found in this passage. So whatever the Hebrew was for right, it said it twice. And whatever the word was, Hebrew word was for left, and I didn't, I didn't have time to write it down, it was said twice. So even reading this in Hebrew, it was kind of an interesting cadence as you chanted this in the Hebrew language. So long life is in her right hand, is in her right right. And in her left left, our riches and honor, is kind of what we would say if we wanted to be literal. Um, 
Let's see. All right, so moving on to verse 17. It says, her, meaning wisdom, her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. So this Hebrew word for ways means her manner, her custom, her way of doing things, her, um, her character, if you will. So wisdom, her way of life, her character, her manner are pleasant ways, which means they're not only enjoyable, but they're also beautiful. That's what the word pleasant also means in the Hebrew. It also means beautiful. So her ways, her manner, wisdom's ways and manner are pleasant. They're beautiful ways. And all of her paths are peace. And paths here means a well-worn, clearly marked, easy-to-find path. So it says all of her paths are peace. So in other words, wisdom has experience on getting you to a peaceful place because she's tread that path so much that wisdom has made a rut, made a bare patch of a clearly marked path because it's well-worn, it's been well-traveled. So her way of peace is not just some sort of get-rich-quick peace scheme. It is a well-traveled, tried-and-true, been-there-through-the-ages way of obtaining peace. It's a sure way of peace. It's not a Johnny-come-lately kind of peace. It's not the way that that the world gives peace or the world defines peace. It's the way God defines peace, which is absolute and which is sure. So this is a very comforting passage. So when Solomon is talking to his sons and instructing his sons, which would be the future kings and judges and ambassadors and rulers of Israel, he's saying, you know, yeah, you're going to have a queen. You're going to have somebody that's going to rule by your side. But make wisdom your lover. Make wisdom your true queen because she's got long life in her right hand. Not just you're going to live longer physically, but you're going to grow spiritually and mentally. And in her left hand is riches and honor. People will be coming to you. And and you'll be honored because of the wisdom that you have. And you'll be able to obtain, you maintain the riches of this kingdom as a result of wisdom. And it says her ways are pleasant ways. She's not going to steer you wrong. She's not going to get you into controversy. She's not going to uh, lead you in a, in, a, in a shady path. Her, her ways are beautiful. Her ways are pleasant. Her manner is peaceful. And her paths are well-worn. They're well-established. They're tried and true down through the ages. You can depend on them. They're a sure bet. They're a sure thing. You can bank on them. And her paths are peace. Now, verse 18, I've always liked this verse. It's a verse that, that is read in synagogues on every Sabbath day, and it's read at the closing of the reading of the Torah, because the Torah is also called a tree of life. It says, she, wisdom, is a tree of life for those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. So that is after the, the Torah portion for that Sabbath is read. The cantor or the rabbi or whoever it is will, will get up and they will, they will say that verse at the end of the Torah reading. For she is a tree of life for those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. Because they look at the Torah, they look at the law of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They look at that as a tree of life. Because God told Moses, this isn't just something I'm just randomly giving to you. This is not something that's arbitrary. He told Moses, I believe in Deuteronomy, he said, this law, this Torah, this is your life. And I know sometimes we, we have a bad taste in our mouth when we say law, because it makes us think of something stern and punishing. 
But actually, the word Torah, a better translation than law, would be instructions. God's instructions. So the Jewish people look at at the law of Moses, the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, as a tree of life. God's instructions are a tree of life. They keep you safe. They keep you from harm. They keep you from danger. They, they, They teach you how to live your best life physically, mentally, and spiritually. It's God's holiness code. Some people say, man, I wish there was an instruction manual for life. Well, there is. It's God's word. It's right here. And so, you know, the first five books uh, was, was God setting up a law for his people, setting up instructions for his people because they were a freshly birthed nation. And when they passed through the Red Sea, that was a symbolic of, of, of the nation being birthed. The Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea was like the birth canal. And they were coming out of the womb of Egypt. And they passed through the Red Sea and they were born as a nation. And God said, oh, this is a brand new nation. They've got to have rules to live by that will keep them safe physically, mentally, and spiritually, that will treat the whole person. So God gave his instructions to Moses to give to the people. It taught them how to, how to eat, how to dress, how to stay healthy. What if somebody gets sick? Taught them how to quarantine people so they wouldn't get sick through, through uh, uh, you know, blood-borne pathogens or biological hazards. I mean, it, it, anything you needed to know to survive as a fledgling nation in the desert is right there in the five books of Moses. And that was one of the first things that a king did when they ascended the throne of Israel. Before they did anything else, they wrote a copy of the five books of Moses for themselves so they would have it to read every day, and they would know how to rightly rule and judge uh, the nation. So Solomon here is telling his sons, stick with the Torah, stick with God's word, stick with his laws and instructions. It'll never steer you wrong. It'll always steer you right. And wisdom is also linked to God's instructions because in one passage it says that when people see that you're following God's laws, they'll say, wow, what a wise nation this is that God would give them such laws to go by. So she, wisdom, or you could say God's word, is a tree of life for those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. Now, um, the tree of life, I'll just kind of go off in a little rabbit trail here. According to Jewish tradition, does anybody know what the tree of life actually was? It was actually, most likely, an almond tree. It was an almond tree. Now, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what do you think that was? It wasn't an apple. It was a fruit tree. It was most likely a fig tree. For several reasons, several reasons we can come to this conclusion. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was most likely a fig tree because after they took the fruit, According to the, the, the rabbi's interpretations of the scripture, no other tree or no other foliage would give them their leaves to cover their nakedness. They refused. So the only leaves that were available was from the tree that they picked from, and that was a fig tree. And isn't it interesting that even Jesus himself, at one point in the Gospels, curses a fig tree? So I think that's kind of interesting. So, you know, I mean, we can't say for definite for sure, but there are some uh, circumstantial evidence that would really strongly point to a fig tree being the, the, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, the reason that it is believed that the tree of life was an almond tree was there's this legend that when Adam and Eve sinned 
and they were kicked out of the garden. You know, God uh, kicked them out of the garden for their own good, uh, you know, to, uh, to keep them from eating from the tree of life so that uh, they wouldn't live forever in a sinful state. But uh, the legend has it that God gave a branch to Adam from the tree of life, which was his staff. And he, he walked with his staff and carried the staff everywhere he went. It was to remind them of where they came from. Well, this staff was passed down, according to some apocryphal and uh, pseudepigraphal literature that was very important to the Jewish people during ancient times and Jesus' time, that somehow that this staff got in the hands of Midian. And Midian was a descendant of Abraham. So when Moses went with Midian, he was camped at Mount Horeb, which Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai was called the mountain of God. They always thought that God lived on that mountain, maybe because of the volcanic activity there. I don't know. But, but they attributed that mountain to this, this almighty God. Now, it wasn't strange that mountains held gods because every mountain had a spiritual significance to different people. So there were, uh, in different Canaanite nations, they had different mountains that were sacred to them. That was sort of like their Mount Olympus, if you will. So, of course, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, is where Moses encountered the burning bush and encountered his call from God through that burning bush. But it was said, according to legend, that, this, that uh, Midian had this branch that was passed down all the way through Adam, and it was this almond branch. And sort of like the, 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 uh, the uh, sword and the stone, that this, that this uh, staff was stuck in the ground and nobody could pull it out. And Moses was the only one that could pull it out. So that staff became Moses' staff. And that was the staff that they performed all the miracles with, where the staff was thrown to the ground and turned to a serpent, was smacked on the water and it turned to blood, parted the Red Sea, all that jazz. And it was also, because Aaron was his brother and Aaron was in the same family as Moses, it was also Aaron's staff. And it was Aaron's rod that budded and produced almonds. So that's why a lot of people think that the tree of life, or the Jewish people believe that the tree of life was an almond tree, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. So anyway, take it for what it's worth. That's just a little bit extra I'm throwing out there for you. Uh, so uh, tree of life. Okay, so it says, um, she is a tree of life for those who, who take hold. Uh, this word take hold means to grasp. To, to grasp with courage and with strength. So it's almost, you know, I almost picture, you know, you know if, if you've ever climbed a tree and lost your footing and you grabbed yourself on that branch, well, you held on that branch for dear life until you could figure out a way to safely get down because you didn't want to fall. You grabbed hold on it with, with courage and with strength, right? That's kind of what's being implied here. Uh, for she is a tree of life to those who grasp her or take hold of her with courage and strength. And happy uh, are, are all who, take, who hold her fast. Now, hold her fast um, is, is a little bit different in the Hebrew. It means to retain. Happy are those who retain her. So they cherish her. They retain her. They, they, they basically hold on to her for dear life. Is kind of what this is implying. So Solomon is basically saying, let the word of God, let the laws of God be this tree of life for you. Hold on for it for dear life. Retain it, protect it, guard it. It's, it's, it's your protective staff. 
because staffs were not only used to, you know, kind of keep people's keep your balance when walking. You could use it as a weapon. I mean, there's a whole martial art form that's totally based around the staff, how you could use a staff in defensive and offensive ways to protect yourself. And there is actually an ancient form of martial arts um, in ancient Israel. I think it's called the Karibu or Karibu or almost sounds like Caribou. But uh, yeah, there is actually an ancient form of Israeli martial arts. So, but, you know, Solomon is saying that God's word is this tree of life. It's, it's, it's to be cherished and protected. And it's also your protector in a sense. Yeah. Blessed. Yeah. Because it says happy are those who take hold of her fast. So happy, a lot of times in modern translation, the word blessed or blessed will be translated as happy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to um, verse 19. Well, before we go, go there, verses 13 through 18 talks about the benefits of wisdom. And the verses we're about to get into, verses 19 and 20, um, is talking about um, the benefit of uh, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And that God benefited from this wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that he created and wants us to benefit from that too. Because it's sometimes wisdom is portrayed as a character that was there when he created the heavens and the earth. And there was somebody there when he created the heavens and the earth, and that was Jesus. And who was the wisest man besides Solomon? It was obviously Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And of course, we know that John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, Yeshua. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so it goes into how you know wisdom created all these things. So uh, verses 19 and 20 talk about the benefits of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Okay, so verse 19 says, the, here, we, here we go, just what I was talking about. The Lord, and it's in all caps, so that is God's, that's representative of God's Hebrew name, yud heh vav -Hey. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and by understanding, he established the heavens. And by his knowledge, the deeps were broken up, and the skies dripped with dew. So you've got wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now the, now the Hebrew people have taken these three words and made a whole new word out of these three words. They've taken the first letters. Wisdom is chokhmah. So they've taken the CH sound of chokhmah, and the, the Hebrew word for uh, understanding is binah, and they've taken the B, the B sound from binah, and then wisdom is da'at, and they've taken the D from da'at, and they've put it together, and it's called chabad. So if you ever hear the word Chabad, it means wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It's just, it's just a new word that the, that, the, that the Jewish people created to encapsulate those three, three words. So by his knowledge, so, or by, no, sorry, verse 19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. So wisdom implies planning. It implies forethought. So by wisdom, the Lord founded, and the word founded in Hebrew means to establish, to lay a foundation, or to ordain, to set something up, or to start something. A lot of times we'll see business signs, 
and said such and such company established in 19 or 2000, whatever. So that's what this word founded means. It means to establish, uh, to lay a foundation, to ordain. So the Lord, by wisdom, by forethought and planning, established, founded the earth. Um, so this founded the earth, it implies terra firma. It, it implies something solid. Because if you remember in Genesis 1.1, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So in the beginning, the world was just a big blob of water, a big mass, a big formless mass. And so here it says, by, knowledge, or by wisdom, he established or founded, or founded the earth. He actually made dry land appear. He made terra firma. He made something solid that we could walk upon and that we could stand upon and keep our footing and not sink and not fall. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and by understanding... And understanding means a working knowledge. So you have wisdom, which implies planning, and understanding, which you know how that planning works. You can plan it out in your head, but once it's founded and established, you understand how it works inside and out. It's just like if you were a clockmaker. You could look at all these different cogs and springs and dials and screws, and you would know exactly where they fit, how they fit together, what their purpose was, how they worked. You could put the clock together and make a clock work out of a bunch of gears and parts. And that's kind of what understanding means. It means a workable working knowledge. So by a working knowledge, by understanding, he established, and this word established is different from the word founded. This word established means to make firm, faithful, and reliable. So by understanding, he made firm, faithful, and reliable the heavens, or in other words, the sky. So basically what he's saying here is that he made the sky predictable. I mean, we have people that are weather forecasters, right? And, you know, 90% of the time they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong, you know, because it's still a natural phenomenon that we don't fully understand. But even Jesus was talking about in his day. He says, when you say that the, you know, you know red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. That's what we say today. But Jesus basically said the same thing in the Gospels. He said, if you see a red sky in the evening, you say it's going to be a good day. You know, uh, red sky at night, sailors delight. If you see red sky in the morning, it's going to be, a, a, you know, the weather's going to be bad. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. So he established, made firm and faithful and reliable the heavens. And this word heavens just means the firmament, the sky. So he made reliable and predictable the sky. In other words, he set seasons in place so that we'll know when the rainy season is, when the snowy season is, when to plant crops, when, we're go you know, when it's likely going to be a dry season. So he made it predictable. So the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And it's interesting that the heavens are in plural because when you look at the science of the sky, there's different spheres of heaven. There's the ionosphere. There's the stratosphere. You know, there's different levels that you could actually see the lines of demarcation in these different, these different levels. So by understanding, he established the heavens. In verse 20, uh, by knowledge, and this word knowledge knows why and has reason. So by knowledge or by reason, the deeps were broken up. And the skies dripped with dew. 
So knowledge uh, knows why and has reasons. Now I think here it, it, it's, it's probably a good time to talk about the way that the ancient Israelites seen the world. I mean, who was it? It was Copernicus and Galileo that confirmed and proved that the earth was actually round. Up until those guys came along, everybody thought the earth was flat. Don't go sailing off in that direction too far or you're going to fall right over the edge. And strangely enough, there's actually an, a movement in the modern day called the Flat Earth Society. It is. It's getting big and it's getting ridiculous. And you know why it's getting ridiculous? Because they don't understand Hebraic cosmology. They're taking the word. They're taking these words literally. And so when God uh, gave the word of God to the ancient Israelites, He gave it in a way that they could understand. So they gave it in the. He gave it in the analogy and the culture that that they were that they understood. Because if you look at the word of God, it says some pretty strange stuff about the creation. It says. On the foundation of these pillars, God founded the earth and, you know, the deeps and the sky and the firmament and the dome of the sky and all this kind of stuff. And it almost gives you the picture of a snow globe, one of those flat snow globes. You know, it's a, you have a, like a little Christmas scene and it's a little flat oval and then there's a dome over it. That's almost the way that the ancient Mesopotamians, the ancient Canaanites and the ancient Israelites saw the world. Because they only saw it from the ground level. And if you do look up under the sky, it does look like a dome. Because the way the sky bends and the way the stars move across the sky in an arc and the planets and the moon and sun moves in an arc, it looks like a dome. And so that was their picture of the world. They didn't have a satellite view. They, they didn't have you know uh, mathematics at that time that could calculate the curvature of the earth and all these different things. So from ancient times, it was kind of like a flat earth kind of deal where there was a dome. And even in the creation account, it says, you know, uh, separated water from water and created this dome in the sky that was over, over the heavens. So that's kind of what uh, the ancient... Uh, it, you know, uh, Hebrews and Israelites seen the world. Now, the flat earth, not saying that you can't take the Bible literally, but saying that you've got to look at the Bible in, and understand it in the language in the vernacular. Because every language has their symbolism, every language has their idioms, every language has their analogies, and you have to understand that. So it's just like, it's just like if I was saying, guys, make sure you grab your umbrella because it's raining cats and dogs out there. You know that I'm not literally saying that cats and dogs are falling from the sky. You know that because we've grown up in a culture where we understand just because this is the way it's always been with us, that we understand that when it's raining cats and dogs, it implies that it's raining really, really hard. It's a torrential rain. So even in the same way, you've got to look at the word of God and use your mind and use your brain and say, okay, you know, this is, this is really an idiom or this is really an analogy here or this is you know, sim symbolic of something else. So when you're reading it, you also have to read it within the mind frame of the ancient Hebrews and Israelites, how they viewed and see the, seen the world. So even in, in Jesus's day on Mount Hermon, that was the Mount of Transfiguration. That is the place where Jesus told Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? You know why he said that? Because the ancients believed that the gates of hell were at the bottom of Mount Hermon. That's exactly why he said that, where he said that, when he said that. And Mount Hermon was believed to be the mountain that the angels fell when they were cast out of heaven. 
So it makes total sense when you understand the story behind the story. And, and you understand why Jesus said what he said, where he said it, when he said it. So it's the same thing when you're reading the rest of Scripture. You've got to you know, understand uh, where the Hebrews were coming from in their mindset. So by his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. I think he's hearkening back to the account to the Noadic flood because that was the first time it ever rained. And that's the first time that the deeps were broken up because that's why it flooded because water came from below and came from above. So before the flood, it's believed by creation scientists that there was a hyperbaric chamber, a dome of water that was around the earth that protected it. And when things are in a hyperbaric chamber, they live longer and they grow taller. So that is one explanation why the patriarchs lived so long for hundreds of years. So like we can, we can recreate a hyperbaric chamber here on earth. And a hyperbaric chamber is a lot of times used when somebody comes up from the ocean depths too high and they've got to get in a hyperbaric chamber or they'll get the bends, which is a really harsh sickness. So they have planted tomatoes in a hyperbaric environment and the tomatoes, the tomato plant grew huge, tall, and the tomatoes were big. So, you know, maybe that's why they were giants in the land, part of the reason why back in those days. And that's probably why that people lived longer is because they, were, they had that hyperbaric chamber. So, and even when the prophets and the writer of Psalms and Proverbs talks about heaven and talks about the throne room of heaven, and even, even in Deuteronomy, where it's talking about the throne room of heaven, they'll describe the floor of heaven as blue like sapphire. Well, if you fly in a plane and go over the ocean, it looks like a blue sapphire. And so it's believed that, that above the dome of the water was God's throne. So when the, when the heavens were broken up and dripped down the dew, that hyperbaric chamber was no more. It was destroyed because all the water landed on earth. And all the depths of the deep that had water locked in it rose up and created the flood that flooded the whole world. So maybe this is kind of what Solomon is harking back to in this too. So by wisdom... Uh, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, uh, and by understanding, he established the heavens. So that's Genesis 1.1. Uh, Gen and uh, Proverbs 20 is more talking about the flood of Noah. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up, and the skies dripped with dew. Uh, my son, let them not depart from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So he's saying that just as God, in his wisdom and foreknowledge, he created the earth, he destroyed and cleansed the earth with a flood. We don't maybe totally fully understand his ways or his reasons, but he's God, he's infinite, he's all wise, he's all knowing, he has all understanding. And because he knew what he was doing in creating the earth and then destroying the earth because of sin and recreating it again after Noah, he's basically saying, my sons, let that same kind of wisdom that God has and that God uses, let it not depart from your sight. Keep sound wisdom. And sound, uh, keep sound wisdom and discretion. Kind of lost my place here. Okay. So my son, let them not depart from, from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. All right. I think we'll go ahead and call it a night here. And we'll pick it up with verse... We'll pick it up with verse 22 um, next week. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the depth and the intricacy of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and the knowledge that is obtained and gleaned and and taken from your word. And Lord, we've got to take this time, just like enjoying a good meal, as I said earlier, and we've got to learn how to savor and to really feel the texture and the different flavors that pop through your taste buds as you're eating a meal. No different from your word, because there's so many different angles and different takes and different nuances and different levels of learning and understanding and wisdom and knowledge that your that your word holds. And even when we go through this whole book of Proverbs, breaking it apart like we have, we can go right back to the beginning and start all over and probably find new things that we missed the first time. Your word is so deep. It's, it's, it's infathomable. It's like a bottomless pit. We can't, we can't splunk or plunge the depths of it. And Lord, that's why it'll take a lifetime uh, to, to enjoy and to study and to glean from your word. I know there's stories of rabbis who have just spent their entire life studying Genesis 1-1. They lived into their 70s and 80s and they studied Genesis 1-1 all their life and still didn't come to the end of the knowledge and wisdom and understanding and the, and, and the different meanings and depths and interpretations of Genesis 1-1. Sure, they preached other things and worked on other things, but in their spare time, it was almost like an obsessive hobby. They just tore apart Genesis 1-1. We can do the same thing with Proverbs. So no matter how deep we get into Proverbs, we're never going to do it justice. But what we do get and what we are able to glean with our limited knowledge and our limited resources, oh God, we praise you. Only an infinite God can come up with an infinite word that can be contained between two leather bindings. It's amazing. Your word is amazing. There's no other book on the planet that is like this. And Lord, each time I read it and each time we study it, you show us more and you show us how miraculous your word is, especially how it has survived through the ages. And there was kingdom after kingdom that tried to destroy it and get rid of it. And they never have been able to do it. Your word has stood the test of time. It's been the top seller for years. Lord, we take it for granted. We probably have three or four or five, maybe even 10 translations on our shelf. And then there's parts of the world that, that don't even have the word of God. They've just heard about it. They've never physically held it or read it or heard it or touched it. Lord, we're spoiled. Being so blessed as we are, I pray that we don't get soft. Help us never to take your word for granted. Help us to never take our meeting here and our ability to study here with our brothers and sisters in peace and solitude without anybody harassing us or, or, or threatening us or harming us. Help us to never take this for granted. Because there might be one day when persecution will come to our shores and we won't have the freedoms that we have now. Oh, Lord, as, as your word says, let us hide your word in our heart that we may not sin against you. Lord, help your word to just be the most important part of our, our day. And take time out every day to read your word. That it's not a chore, that it's not a labor, but we look at it as a love letter from an infinite, loving, holy God written to us out of love because it's everything that we need to know on how to live a successful, happy, productive life physically, mentally, and spiritually. It is our life instruction manual. And as we read through Proverbs, how much more nuts and bolts and basics and life instruction can you get? Proverbs. Proverbs, positive action words. So Proverbs is actually literally teaching us how to act positively in this world. 
And there's no more positive that we can do than we act on your word and live by your word because it is life. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing soul and spirit and judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. Your word is amazing. Help us to fall madly and deeply in love with it. Because as we fall in love with your word, we're going to fall in love with the author of the word, which is you, O God. And we'll fall in love with the living manifestation of the written word, which is Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. None of those things can be separated, Lord. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who has given us the wisdom and and has been our comforter and has been our tutor and has been our teacher to lead and guide us into all truth. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name and Jesus' name. Amen.